Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion team. The Rays Radio Network proudly presents This Week in Rays Baseball. Here's your host, Neil Solons. Thanks so much for joining us with St. Petersburg Mayor Ken Welsh announcing Monday, January 30th, that he chose the RFP for the Heinz Rays Group to redevelop the Tropicana Field site. This podcast, of course, will be focused on that. You'll hear from all the key figures involved in the project, which obviously is quite complex. Plus, we have a separate but connected event we'll tell you about at the end of this podcast that includes an interview you'll want to stick around for. Let's get right into this, though, and begin with a lead developer for the RFP, and that's Heinz. They've been working with Arrays in some capacity for 15 or so years, and their senior managing director of development is Michael Harrison, who explained how excited he was for this project to take the next step. Well, it, it's an incredible honor and privilege. I mean, we've known the Rays for 15 years. We went through an RFP process with them uh, that long ago, but we've stayed together. We've continued to work together on and off over the last decade and a half. And to get to the point where uh, we put together jointly a team here to pursue what we think of as a truly you know, nationally exciting opportunity, uh, and then to be able to be selected by the mayor and have the opportunity to, to imagine a partnership with the Rays for the next 15 to 20 years is just, it's a privilege for Heinz, um, and it's something we're very excited about. What may be different now than, let's say, 15 years ago? What's the biggest change in terms of where you are in the process? Well, that's a great question, and I think that there, there's been significant change over the 15 years. Originally, the ballpark was going to be down in the old Al Lang Field, and the development was just going to be a standalone development. And I think what the Rays have learned and what Heinz have learned over the last decade and a half is that um, placemaking is important. And to have the ballpark and the Rays anchor a much larger development creates the opportunity for us to do something special with the property around it and so that we can create an entertainment district. We can create a place that people want to live and want to work and also get to go play at the at the ballpark and other entertainment venues that we will have within the project. So for us, it's, it's a pretty significant change to where our line of thinking was 15 years ago, where now we really view the, the ballpark as an anchor of everything that will happen around it. You've gone through many of these large-scale processes as a company before. So what is the next phase of this like from Heinz's standpoint? 
Uh, now we, we, we really feel like we've gotten to the starting line. It was a very uh, intense process that the city ran. It was very competitive with other teams com you know, put, submitting proposals. And really what that did with the mayor's announcement today is it put us right at the starting line. And so it's really the first time we can now engage with the city. The process itself was confidential. We weren't allowed to engage with city staff. We weren't allowed to engage with the mayor. So we put together the best plan and vision that we could, but we know that we need the city to be part of that. And so we're excited, and, and as to your question, the next immediate step is for the Rays and Hines and our team to sit down with the mayor, city staff, to say, okay, we selected your proposal because it was the best for the city, and now Hines and the Rays, we want to know how we can make it better. And I guess that's part of the next phase of developing and changing and, and modifying? Well, I think we, we certainly heard and saw from the other proposals different ideas. And I think that from, from Heinz's perspective, we've been successful in development for six and a half decades because we, we learn from other projects and we learn from our competitors. And I think there's an opportunity here to pick up ideas that other people have surfaced and incorporate them into our plan in a way that can make our plan even more exciting and a better plan that works for the city and for us uh, even more. Heinz has worked with the Rays for quite a while. Obviously, there are many Tampa Bay Rays employees who have been working on the project even longer. Team President Brian Ald was understandably enthusiastic about the latest approval. It feels great, um, and it means the world to us. You know, We have tremendous respect for Mayor Welch and that he uh, saw our vision, saw it as a good one for the future of his city, for the historic gas plant neighborhood of which, he, which he's been raised, and um, for the future of Major League Baseball is all just outstanding. Um, we've got a pathway forward in St. Petersburg now, and we're eager to pursue it. So what is next, and how many other hurdles are there along the way? I don't know exactly what's next. Um, I'm really looking forward to, for the first time since the RFP was issued, being able to sit down with the mayor and talk about how he wants this to go forward, where we're going to go, how we're going to get there, and in what order. Um, because there's arguments to be made for any number of steps along the way. You know, we know we need a financing plan for the ballpark. We know we need a city council approval of a development agreement. Um, we know we're going to need some county support. And so each of those steps can be taken um, in order, and, uh, and I think we work on them all at the same time. Um, but what I think you saw today was overwhelming community support for a really great vision for this city and this baseball club, and that's exciting. You have been through this process a number of times. Does this feel any different, having taken this next step? And in your mind, what is different about this process, maybe, that you've learned from some of the others? Well, um, this one is unique. This is the first time we've been part of an RFP, uh, you know, and so we've got a lot of the vision laid out. Certainly, there'll be changes to it along the way as, uh, as we get more and more feedback and more and more uh, individuals and organizations um, let us know what they really want to see from the site and from the baseball team. But uh, this is, you know, for the first time in several years, our hometown saying, we want the race here and we support your plan for how to do it. And that's excellent. You know, uh, not, it wasn't that long ago that we had a mayor who was completely uninterested in our plans and, uh, and an RFP process that didn't include the raise. So we've come an awful long way um, towards aligning incentives in, in a city that, you know, I live in and love. So for people who are on the Tampa side, 
what would you, uh, who are also interested in seeing where the Rays land, what do you say to them? Uh, our responsibility as the stewards of the Tampa Bay Rays Baseball Club are to make sure it stays in Tampa Bay for generations to come. Um, that challenge hasn't been easy. Uh, we've, we've worked on both sides of the bay at various times over decades to try to figure out a solution um, for our long-term home. We haven't been able to reach it yet. And there's still a lot of steps that have to take place in St. Petersburg. And so uh, we owe it to all of our fans to keep every option on the table and to keep pursuing every option available to us. And that means that the dialogue with Tampa's got to be open. Um, in the event that something falls through over here, we need uh, another part of our region to be able to pick up the ball and, and run with it, so to speak. So for us, um, this is a great step. Uh, it, it shows that we've got a, a mayor and a, and a city behind us over here in St. Petersburg. Um, and in the event that we can push through everything, we will, we will get to that uh, shovel in the ground and the securing of the Rays' long-term future. Um, but I don't want people to think that all our eggs are in one basket because uh, we owe our fans um, more than that. And overall, I guess the goal is regardless, you want to try and move this as quickly as possible just because of where we are in the timeline with the stadium lease. Yeah, our use agreement does run out at the end of the 2027 season, and so time is of the essence. Um, we have never been in dialogue with both St. Pete and Tampa at the same time prior to now. But simply too much time has passed, and we need to figure out the answer sooner than later. So right now we've got to do it. Um, and we will uh, pursue both options in earnest. Uh, and as soon as we've got a solution that ensures the future of the Rays in Tampa Bay, uh, we'll be ready to jump on it. Um, today, St. Petersburg took a really big first step towards making that happen. Congratulations on that step, and best of luck with the next. Thank you. Very much appreciate it. That's good perspective from the Rays' Brian Ald on what's to come and what's taken place. As Brian mentioned, this project truly has a chance to impact so many people in so many different ways. Gwendolyn Reese probably understands the history of the area as well as anyone in Tampa Bay. Reese is president of the African American Heritage Association of St. Petersburg, Florida, Incorporated, and grew up in the gas plant district where the current ballpark resides and a future home would be. I can't get beyond this step. I'll just be honest. I am so celebrating. I am so happy. I'm just ecstatic over the fact that we were chosen. Um, I hoped, um, I almost knew on a certain level that it had to be us because we had the best proposal, we have the means to do it, but you still don't know. So um, to be sitting there or standing there, because I was on my way out to do a presentation and to hear the mayor announce it, I just can't tell you the feelings that came over me. I believe in resting in the moment. I believe in relaxing and taking a breath before we take the next step. So I'm in that relaxing, celebrating, taking a moment before I move into what comes next. But I'm so excited about implementing our proposal. I'm so excited about the team sitting down and engaging with the mayor and engaging with city administrators, city council, and the community to really uh, begin to flush out and um, make the proposal even richer than it is today. And as strongly as you feel, explain why you feel it was always the proposal that you felt the city needed to go with. Because I sensed, intuition is very much a part of my life, I sensed the honesty, the integrity, the commitment of not just Brian and I, 
my initial conversations were, were with Brian, but it wasn't just, it just wasn't Brian. I sensed that with every team member I met. And um, that means so much to a community who has been lied to, promises have been broken over the years. Uh, we're still dealing with inequity and structural racism. And to talk to a team which every single member of that team was uh, committed to equity, they did not understand the implications. I had a conversation with one team member. He said, I didn't understand white privilege, but I do now. I didn't understand. So to, to be with the team who, even though they didn't deeply understand all of this, they understood the importance of equity, and then they wanted to reach out and learn more about what they don't know. And in terms of the proposal itself, what will it mean to the former residents of the gas plant, like yourself, and other residents of St. Petersburg? It would mean that that promise that was broken, that included affordable housing and economic opportunity and employment, you know, and equity wasn't a part of the, of the promise then. Equity was not a word back then. You know, we said equality. We didn't know anything about equity, and equity and equality are not one and the same. So to talk about finally being able to make good the promises that were broken, and with an added layer of equity to it um, in terms of equity as it relates to housing opportunities, to business opportunities, to employment opportunities, to contractual opportunities. Equity in every phase of this, from the planning, there was equity at our table in writing our proposal, all the way through to completion of the program. That's just amazing. And then to bring life back. There's life here, but it's a baseball stadium and the life is when games are here. Now we're talking about a vibrant community bringing life back to a community that meant so much to us, that was very vibrant, and we will be able to see that vibrancy again. We will be able to see our neighborhood come to life again. That means a lot. And then to know that our story will be included in the development, that we will be honored in many different ways. We don't even know all the ways yet, but we know we will be honored and our story will be told. That's just, um, I can't explain to you how important that is. How big a piece is the museum in all of this? The museum is, it's a big piece, but it's just a piece. Um, the story of the gas plant neighborhood will not live in the museum. The story and the history of the gas plant neighborhood will, will live throughout the development, the redevelopment in so many ways. The museum is very important to us. It's important to our community. It always has been. We've been fighting for improvements and enlargements and, and all of that, uh, a new museum. But finally, I think, we can see the pot that we can see it no longer as a possibility but a probability we can see that it is going to happen we may not know the exact date but we know it's very soon uh, we will see it happen because the Heinz race proposal has it in the first phase um, and that's incredible so now we're talking about our history at a level we never imagined. We're talking about the Woodson African American Museum of Florida telling that large picture of our history in from Africa to America. And then we're talking about the gas plant development with Ameri uh, African American Heritage Association telling the story of this specific neighborhood. We never imagined that our story would be told on, on that level or on those levels. It's just, it's amazing. 
it's like a dream come true, and I'm so glad that I'm still alive to be able to be a part of it. Gwendolyn Reese has been a tremendous resource and a big part of the Heinz Rays team, and the same could be said for Andrick Frazier, whose company, Best Horse Consulting, is specifically focused on consulting services in the areas of environmental, social, and governance extremely pleased and relieved. <laughs> a little bit of anxiety, especially with uh, so much work that had to be put in in such a short period of time. But uh, extremely looking forward to finally being able to have open dialogue with the city. Um, also with open dialogue with other members of the community, you know, who had uh, maybe chosen another side prior to the award coming today. Tell me what excites you from the diversity aspect of this more than anything else? Well, I think it's an opportunity uh, to build something from scratch with intentional equity in mind. Uh, a lot of times you're coming in trying to uh, relieve or solve a problem. I think here we're trying to build up a talent pipeline. I mean, that's the way we're really looking at this. And we have 20 years to work on a project. Um, you have a, a pretty good runway to make sure you develop some pretty robust talent. How unique is that? And what can this mean to St. Pete? Well, typically um, initiatives like this start from a governmental angle and it kind of did this time, but it was more of a directive. Uh, the funding is coming from the private sector and it's part of the project's actual budget, so we know the funding will be there. Um, and there are no strings tied to us. We really have really just a, an open blank slate to really be creative and make sure that we impact the community that needs us the most, which is South St. Pete. What are the pieces of that project right now that excite you the most, and how can community engagement even take it a step further? Well, there are really two pieces. Uh, one I mentioned before is the, the talent pipeline piece. I mean, we have about $5 million we're going to allocate specifically towards really training our youth in entrepreneurship and trade to make sure that you know they're able to be part of the workforce when things start going vertical. And the other piece really is tackling affordable housing, especially off-site and off-premise. Um, the ability to be able to bring home ownership to fruition uh, to people from South St. Pete for the first time um, is extremely exciting and can be transformational. And from your standpoint, how what, what's different about, let's say, this next phase of the project versus putting together an RFP? Well, uh, we, we kind of go, and I say we best source, we talk about this whole thing about plan, do, act. Um, the RFP piece was a lot of planning. Um, the do part is going to be negotiating a contract, and then now it's going to be time to act, and uh, that's what's exciting. Andrick Frazier gave us a good look at who this project can impact. There are a lot of unique features, though, included in this project thanks to the people designing it. I sat down with three members of Gensler, the lead architecture firm, Elena Saul, strategic director, co-managing director of Gensler Tampa, Sarah Joubert, and Chris Zomp, firm-wide leader for cities and urban design. So one of the things that I think has been really great working with the Rays is how many relationships and how engaged they were in the community already. Whenever we work with teams that sort of have that established set of relationships and trust, it kind of helps us take a project like this and, and elevate it and take it further. Um, so when we started working with them, you know, there's a lot that they had already done in terms of reaching out and hearing and listening. I think Brian emphasized how much listening would be a big part of this process. Um, and we, whenever we look at community engagement as part of these efforts, it's really important to have you know, ears wide open and be thinking in a lot of different contexts and channels. Um, so doing that direct outreach with different communities, being on the ground, um, connecting, bringing people to the, the bring people, what do I want to say, bring people to the stadium, like having ways that people are getting different experiences through this process. And you're able to sort of connect these stories to how we might, you know, incorporate them into what this design might be. So I think the fact that they, they've looked, um, they're looking and talking to all these different groups and really creating ways for them to be actively engaged, uh, you know, starting now has been really exciting. 
Uh, we work closely with Lashante Keys and uh, on the team in terms of developing the strategy around community engagement. Um, and we talked a lot about, you know, what are the ways people need to hear messages, making sure we're really engaged with the faith community, making sure we're really connected to, um, you know, what's going on in South St. Pete, what's going on in, in different, uh, with the youth, with, with older generations, just making sure you're thinking about this in a lot of different contexts and that we're hearing, you know, what are people's needs, what's important to them, and how do we, again, weave that into this organization and, and weave this into uh, the development that we're looking at. I think partnerships is another really big thing as part of this. Uh, of course, the collaboration with the Woodson Museum, um, Tampa Bay Watch. Uh, I'm not going to remember them all, but you know, there's a number of different organizations that were really critical in kind of thinking about their constituents, who are their audiences, and how are we bringing them into this project um, and listening to their needs. So really, again, trying to be as, as far-reaching as possible uh, to, to gather up as much of that as we can and, and let that inspire and, and connect into the project. Yeah, I was just going to say, I think the, the partnerships aspect also really influences the, the physical planning and the design that we, you know, put forth in this project. Um, the, Elaine mentioned the, uh, the Woodson Center uh, Museum and also uh, the ACT, the mm -hmm. Arts, Arts Conservatory for Teens. Mm -hmm. So these two projects alone, um, you know, uh, took on a, a really prominent location in, in the site. So the, the big rendering everybody sees with the, the Woodson Museum in the foreground and performance venue uh, on the opposite side of Booker Creek and that's really you know the nexus of the project that's where you know our two um, east-west and north-south networks cross so not only do we have these uh, great partners but we're giving them you know the best real estate in the project you know so that they're uh, highly visible and and create that welcoming gateway into the into the site how unique is that kind of partnership in terms of community engagement for something of this size and stature? Um, well, I think something of this size and stature, you know, this type of partnership and engagement is, is critical. You know, part of what um, we're doing by, um, you know, in this plan is taking all of the voices that we're hearing and really, you know, creating a community that is inclusive, you know, somebody, you know, something for all. Uh, so the, the engagements, what we're hearing, and then responding to that through the design and the master plan is really, it's, it's, it's critical. I think to, to kind of build on, you know, in other projects where there's a sports anchored uh, development opportunity, I think the thing that's been so important as we look at development moving forward is how are you creating a 365 day experience? How are you extending what's happening um, with the team and, and that the sort of game day and kind of taking it beyond, beyond the, the boundaries of that stadium? So really trying to find opportunities to think about activated landscape, to think about parks, to think about you know, how you're bringing different age groups together. And partnerships are such a big part of events and programming and bringing people to the space and also creating just energy and different audiences. So I think you know the world has gotten to a place where we need sort of a lot of diversity of, of uses and a lot of diversity of thinking and diversity of audience. And partnerships are a way to leverage you know everyone's relative strengths um, and kind of connect connect all of that energy together in a way that I think creates a really unique and, and interesting destination. So I think more people are moving in this direction, but this is a really significant uh, opportunity to do that in a holistic way. Because I guess you've worked on so many different types mm -hmm. of projects. How does this, the way this has been kind of constructed, how different is that and how beneficial do you think it'll be long term in terms of the success of the project? 
I mean, partnerships are make, make a significant difference. And so the, the projects that are successful kind of use these partnerships. And I would say the raise came, to, like when we started this conversation and just, you know, started talking about the project and the opportunities, you know, I was sort of mentioning the, the relationships that already existed were so valuable to sort of being quickly able to integrate them into our process. So, you know, it was a quick call to, you know, how do we get the Tampa Bay Watch involved? How do we get, you know, different... How does that sort of impact how we think about Booker Creek and what we might be doing with that? How do we think about ACT and sort of this music hall uh, performance venue? So, you know, we know that there are parts and pieces, but the partnerships really activate it and create different intentionality and missions and way to, to connect dots. So I think the raise really came to it with a lot of great relationships um, that helped us to go further faster. And that was really important. Um, well, and I think once these partnerships are there from the beginning, um, it's, it makes for a much more authentic project. Um, you know, we've, we've worked on developments where, you know, these things are tried to, tried to layer in after the fact, and, you know, they're, they're just not uh, accepted as legitimate by the community around them. I mean, it's, uh, you know, it's places where uh, you, you bring in a, an investor from outside the community or outside the country even uh, that, that is trying to, you know, make something out of this. Uh, out of a project and it just doesn't have the same effect. It's not as, uh, it's like I said, it's not as accepted. It doesn't feel like it's you know, of the community or for the community. So. I think a lot of it comes down to trust and, you know, partnerships are about both creating, you know, trust within the partnerships, but also the, the, the trust that those partners have in the community themselves. So I think this is about, you know, bringing that, all that together and building that trust. So, you know, the Rays already had a lot of great relationships they've invested for years, but how do we kind of continue to amplify that through this development and through these partnerships? In addition to members of Gensler, I chatted with Everald Kolos, founder and principal of the Storen Studio for Architecture. I mean, this is a very exciting moment for us um, to have the city call us a partner. Um, we're truly honored to sit down and speak with the city and the general community and figure out how we can better serve design um, in a more open way. So this is an incredible moment for us. We feel very humbled um, and it's great as a person who has called St. Pete home for seven years to be able to play a small part of this um, uh, with it being my, in my backyard. What excites you most about the project itself? What excites me most is frankly the, the, the vision <clears throat> that the mayor has had, the city has had, and us working with city council to also understand um, what their constituents want. I think this is going to be a real project where we can actually serve the entire community through partnership and also through what happens in the next 20 years. And I think as designers, you know, it's not necessarily just about the building we're designing. We're interested in the neighborhood we're designing. And it's great to have a bunch of stakeholders that we can actually serve um, with our design talents. So how does this almost, obviously you guys have done a lot of work to this point, but how does this, from your standpoint, the type of work you're doing, take it to another level? I think from the type of work we're doing, for instance, you know, in the Edge District right now, we're, we're designing um, a hotel, and that hotel is great, and it'll serve the community around it and the visitors that are coming in. But here, we are designing an entire neighborhood. Uh, as a designer, one of your dreams is to be always part of a master plan and, and be part of designing a neighborhood, frankly. So this takes it to another scale and the fact that it's 86 acres um, anchored by a ballpark and also uh, we'll have several blocks of mixed use and it's really about um, serving all and economic development for all. 
this as a project is a generational project, and it's uh, any architect's dream to be part of it. That's Evel Colas of the Store and Studio for Architecture. Now, hopefully you've gained a sense of the enthusiasm building for the project, but also the understanding there are many steps to come. And as those steps occur, we'll obviously be chronicling those in upcoming podcasts on the stadium efforts. Now, somewhat tangentially related to all of this is an event that the Rays are sponsoring on Thursday, February 2nd at 7 p.m. at the Tampa Theater. That event is a free community screening of the uninterrupted film After Jackie. Now, After Jackie was released last year and tells the often overlooked story of the second wave of talented black baseball players after Jackie Robinson, including Bill White, Kurt Flood, and Bob Gibson, who were up next in the fight for equality. Now, there were tie-ins in the film to Tampa Bay, and someone very involved with this film, Jackson New Smith of the Spring Hill Company, also is a former Rays employee. Jackson will provide additional context at this screening, and I asked him about coming back to Tampa Bay. Anytime I get the opportunity to come back to St. Petersburg and Tampa, it's a, it's a, it's a special treat for me. I, um, I love my time and my experience in the Rays organization. Um, it's a first-class group of people who I think are, are, you know, the Rays always get tagged as being a progressive organization, but I think the scope of what progressive means goes beyond, uh, you know, what you hear about in terms of um, the on-field product that, that they're able to put out there year in and year out um, in baseball operations. I think the front office in its entirety is, is a progressive one um, in, in all the best, best ways. And, and this, uh, this experience with this screening, you know, what have you, is, is just another example of how the Rays continue to, you know, just be at the forefront of moving the needle in the sport and, and just the uh, the industry as a whole. How important is this movie to the Tampa Bay area, uh, especially in light of the the timing that we're in, in our world? And, and also, um, you know, just this is this kind of like the start of Black History Month as well. Yeah, it's a it's a great it's a great um, question. And first and foremost, I mean, credit to the the Rays organization for really taking um the bull by the horns on this effort and and and, and spearheading it. I think um, you know this when this film came out, we premiered it at at American Black Film Festival um, in the summer of 22, and um, we were fortunate enough that uh, a couple of members of the Rays executive team came to that initial screening. Um, you know, Razi Amirafink, you know, who's one of the highest ranking women executives in, in the game today. Um, Denard Span, uh, obviously a former Ray, a Tampa native, you know, and just one of the game's greatest ambassadors. And then, and then Cole Figueroa, the, the Rays director of baseball operations, who, you know, is, is, is on his own path to become a GM one day and, and, and be a leading executive in the game. Um, you know, the three that made the effort to come to the screening, and I think they were really taken by how much St. Petersburg specifically came up in the film and uh, the role that St. Petersburg played in the evolution of the 64 Cardinals team that, that won the World Series that was spearheaded by the three main you know, athletes that we focus on uh, in the in the documentary, uh, Kurt, Kurt Flood, Bill White, Bob Gibson, um, and really, you know, what what the city of St. Petersburg did to help these these men and this team really break down some some institutional barriers that I think, by and large, have gone hidden and obscured from societal view for a really long time. So, from your end, then it's a positive historical story. I've, I've watched the film and something that I, I, is important for Tampa Bay natives residents to see and understand, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, um, you know, one thing at the Spring Hill Company and Uninterrupted we strive to do is first and foremost, um, you know, tell athlete empowerment stories and stories of perseverance and persistence and bringing projects to the into the zeitgeist that really have been hidden and obscured from plain sight for so long. And I think, 
know, as we talk about Black History Month, a lot of times we hear about a lot of the same stories. And I think what we really tried to achieve with After Jackie was telling a story that we haven't talked about quite enough, which is the story of, you know, these, these three men, this ball club, and really each in their own distinct way, how they continue to push the conversation forward, continued the, the progress that Jackie had made in taking the baton and, and ran it further. And um, what we learn about that team uh, and the discrimination that they face, not only on the field, but really off the field and the way that they, they found a way to kind of collectively come together to really push not only baseball forward, but, but sports and even then further society forward was something we, we felt just really deserved to be told. And fortunately enough, uh, you know, history was a huge partner. Major League Baseball was a huge partner and uh, Firelight Media, you know, Oscar nominated filmmaker Stanley Nelson and our director, Andre Gaines, did an incredible job um, to really bring the story to life. They did. Um, and I, I hope folks come out to the free screening or if they, you know, if they haven't watched on the History Channel, find access to it through that way as well. Are there other chapters that are to be written? You you mentioned new stories, and I think this kind of sort of brought things up to date in some ways, but there's so many other chapters that you could go back and, and be and, and be more complete with. Yeah, it's a it's a great question, Neil. I think um, you know, anytime you have the opportunity to to unpack stories um in this in this game that we all love, uh of baseball, I think it's a it's a really unique opportunity. I think baseball storytelling is a lost art form in a lot of respects. I think we we know um distinctly some of the stories that have stuck with us throughout our youth to, you know, adulthood that revolve around baseball. And and, and a lo- in a lot of ways, those are the stories that make us fall in love with the game, whether, you know, you came up learning about the stories of the Negro Leagues or of, you know, the old Yankees, or, um, you know, you fall in love with some of the feature films that are out there about baseball. It has a, baseball is a unique way of storytelling, creating narrative and, and sharing its history and it's how it's evolved, not only in the sport, but really through through the lens of, of America. And I think absolutely, yeah, there's tons of stories to be told. I think having the opportunity and the platform to tell those stories is what's most important. And just continuing to remember that, you know, there's so much, there's so much that goes beyond what we talk about with Jackie and Jackie's legacy around the black culture in the game, the broader scope of culture in the game, and just the, the players and the athletes and, and the front office executives and everyone that really has had a touch on trying to leave the game of baseball in a better place than they found it. Is Are those some of the talking points that you hope someone who watches after Jackie in this screening in Tampa will take away? And if not, what are some other important points that you think are critical? I think the biggest thing that I hope coming out of this this screening is is people recognize that there's more, there's always more than, than what meets the eye. A lot of times, and I said it a little bit earlier, but you know, history just gets hidden and obscured and, and stories like, like this one that are so paramount to um, the evolution that the game took at that time period. And that crux, you know, I think of Kurt Flood being, you know, stooped at the epicenter of the civil rights movement. And you know, there's that piece about him going with Medgar Evers and, and Dr. King and, and Jackie and, um, you know, marching alongside of them. And you just look back and you're like, man, I, I never knew that. And I think that's that's the hope. I think the hope is that people walk away feeling like they learned something that um, they didn't previously know, not only about um, baseball, but about, you know, American history, about uh, the role that baseball played in American history um, and the, the importance and significance of not only baseball, but the St. Pete region, um, Tampa Bay region in, in that story. 
it was something that I took a lot of pride in having spent time living in St. Petersburg, working in the Rays organization uh, with the stories is some of the archival that you get to see of St. Pete in that time frame, and, and some of the, the stories that come out of uh, St. Pete kind of, be, kind of being at the precipice of a real cultural shift and, and, and change mover that I hope others, you know, take away with them as well. Sounds like you are truly enjoying learning along with this, with the transition from working for baseball operations with various teams throughout the sport to a very large company in Spring Hill that is producing films like this one. Yeah, I mean, it's been it's been uh, it's been an absolute privilege. I can't speak uh, more highly of the people that I've had the opportunity to collaborate with and work with throughout the course of my career, starting with the San Francisco Giants, you know, pit stop at the commissioner's office, obviously the Rays organization, the Chicago Cubs, and now Spring Hill. Having the the privilege of working and collaborating with some of the world's greatest producers and and um, executives at the the epicenter of entertainment, media, and sports has been a huge you know whirlwind and learning lesson for me about just what it takes to to really create you know significant pieces of of film and TV and and and, and documentaries in, in this uh, Hollywood landscape. But it's been an absolute joy. And it's been fun to to see how um, you know the sauce gets made, if you will. That's Jackson Newsmith. And if you want to attend the free screening on February 2nd at the Tampa Theater at 7, seating is first come, first served. No reservations are required. We look forward to seeing you. Now, this helps kick off Black History Month, in addition to having, obviously, this film, a great connection to Tampa Bay. In addition, the Race Baseball Foundation and Rowdy Soccer Fund have announced application details for the annual Racial Equity Grant Program. Applications will be accepted from Wednesday, February 1st through Tuesday, February 28th. The Race Baseball Foundation and Rowdy Soccer Fund annually commits $100,000 in the fight against systemic racism. For more information about the Racial Equity Grant Program or to apply, all you have to do is visit racebaseball.com slash racial equity grant. Thanks so much for listening to our latest podcast. We will chat with you soon. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro.